Blog Talk Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage, uh huh.
rally support for a cause. It gives people uh, an ear to listen to for something that's important. It also gives people a voice to uh, stand up on your soapbox and preach a bit. There's a lot to be said. We live in trying times, but we also live in times where a perfect storm is brewing, a perfect storm for this revolution, this peaceful revolution, hopefully, that will bring about the changes that we need. And there's a lot of changes that we need right now. Um, my name is Joe Grumbine, and I will be your host. And I'm the CEO of a little organization we like to call the Human Solution International. And this is a radio show that promotes liberty and the notion that no one should ever be in jail for a plant, ever. And we could debate that. We can talk about um, which plants are good and which plants are bad. But I would beg to uh, articulate the fact that all plants are good and there's not one of them that should be a crime, especially not one that does so much good and very little, if no zero, bad, like the cannabis plant. Let's just pick one out of a hat. We have a really big show today, and normally I'll spend 10 or 15 minutes droning on about one thing or another, and I will likely do that if there's any available moments to do that in. But we have a lot of guests today um, and a lot to talk about. Um, I just got back from Atlanta, Georgia, where I attended uh, a conference called the Netroots, um, Netroots Nation Conference, and it's... Um, a very non-cannabis event. It's a progressive, um, more of a political type uh, event. However, there were a number of organizations present that were very much in support of ending prohibition, like Peachtree Normal and Students for Sensible Drug Policy, and there was even a, a prison reform uh, organization. And uh, it was kind of refreshing to see that this was a mainstream uh, a, a very mainstream event happened at a main, mainstream hotel, and there were people walking around that didn't smoke cannabis, didn't care to smoke cannabis, uh, didn't know about cannabis. And they were there to uh, promote one thing or another on a progressive uh, on a progressive path. And you know, this is not necessarily a a political show. In fact, if anybody that knows me would know that I really don't belong in either party or any of the parties. Um, I'm probably more closely aligned to a libertarian than either of the other two parties, but even then I have my issues. I, I really don't let myself be put into a political box. There's right and there's wrong. Um, and I'm very liberty-minded, and I'm very anti-tyranny. And I think it's interesting, as we're talking about civil rights, and, you know, of course, I, I mean it, in Atlanta for four days, the literally the hub of the the cradle of, of the civil rights movement. I got to understand the perspective of, of the people that have been battling this for so many years and generations in a way that I didn't maybe before. Um, it's one thing to understand something, you know, from the outside. It's one thing to understand something on a conceptual level. It's one thing to have a pure heart and mind and not have an issue with anything, but it's another thing uh, to spend time with people who grew up in a way very different from the way I did. 
um, grew up in a world where where you had to worry about things that I didn't have to worry about, and to see that these things that they were worried about still happen uh, on a daily basis, and that people are still afraid of their own government, their own law enforcement, and their own people that are supposed to be there to protect them. Uh, I never feared law enforcement. I never liked them, but I didn't fear them, and and even today I don't fear them, although they've caused me great grief and and beat the hell out of me a few times. I don't fear them, but I didn't grow up in a world where I was particularly targeted because of the way I looked or the way I dressed or act, even though that's always going to be somewhat of a factor, certainly not as dramatic as it was down in Atlanta and the things that I saw and heard. Um, I come to Tiffany, though. This will really be the, the gist of my little monologue. And you know, there's a lot of talk about racism and there's a lot of talk about classism and there's a lot of talk about all sorts of isms. And I think when you get down to it, there's two things. There's tyranny and there's liberty. And tyranny is always trying to take liberty away from those who would have it and oppress those who would stand up and be free. And tyranny uses every possible tool to accomplish these goals. And I believe that racism and fear and all of the other isms that are out there, um, the hate-based things that are typically rooted in fear, are all tools that tyranny and tyrannical-minded people use. And so I want to really focus my efforts and hopefully inspire people to maybe to do the same and rather than be stuck in a thing why not look at the bigger picture and let's 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 stand up and say you know prohibition is a tool of tyranny tyranny holds us down by making something illegal thus making us a target to remove our freedoms our freedoms are the thing that is a threat to anybody that's a you know, a, a tyrannical regime or a tyrannical individual is always threatened by the freedom and free will of anybody. So I, I would really encourage us to focus on um, the solutions, the positive ends of things. There's all kinds of problems out there. There's all kinds of, of horrors out there. There's all kinds of bad people. There's good people that do bad things, and there's bad people that do good things. But at the end of the day, it's us, every single one of us, that has the right and the obligation and the freedom to make the choice of what we do, to help it, to hurt it, or otherwise. So I just want to leave you guys on that note or begin the show on that note. Um, we've got a really huge show, so I just kind of want to lay down an outline of what we have coming up. Um, our featured guest today is Kirsten Tynan, the d executive direction of director of FIJA, the Fully Informed Jury Association. Uh, she's been a guest on the show numerous times. Uh, she's a friend of the organization. She's a friend of our, of our cause. Um, and her focus is on jury education, empowering a juror to know their rights and to know their power. And we talk about jury nullification. And that's one of the tools that we have in our toolbox the righteous and the, the, the freedom-minded, the liberty-minded folks, we have tools as well. And that's what I'm here to bring to you, is how we can combat, how we can stand. It is a war. You bet it's a war. I don't like war, but if it comes to me, I'll fight it. You bet I will, and I'll fight it with every tool I have. 
And if jury nullification is a tool I have, I want to share that and teach people how to use it and wield it and carry the power and, and bring about the change that can be brought. Anyway, she's going to talk to us about uh, Jury Rights Day that's coming up on September 5th and how that we as individuals and hopefully as groups um, can educate those that don't know and give empower some folks about their rights as jurors. Um, I have a whole bunch of guests that are going to give updates and tell us a little bit about uh, what's happening. And we're going to begin the show. We have Sharon Ravert, who is um, she used to be a director with Peachtree Normal. Um, she's now um, just an amazing individual who is engaged with Peachtree Normal. We're going to talk a little bit about nonprofit organizations and volunteer-based organizations and burnout and you know the difficulties of trying to hold together a non-funded organization with volunteers and and um, how much effort it is to those that are actually uh, carrying it on their shoulders. Uh, Shauna Banda is with us right now, and uh, she's going to tell us about um, some history that was made and some choices that she made, and and um, actually, uh, uh, in my opinion, um, hopefully the end of a of a brutal story that turned out to be as good as it could. And I'm really proud of Shauna. We've been working with Shauna now for more than two years, and uh, it is such a a grueling proposition to have to battle the government for um, your own freedom, and in, including you know your own child. And dealing with health issues at the same time is um, insurmountable to me. I couldn't imagine if I had attempted to fight the battle I did with the kind of health condition Shauna did. So um, Shauna is an icon and a, and a hero to Benny, and I'm just really, really proud of all the work she's been doing and continues to do. We have Kim Smith. Um, I met Kim for the first time this last weekend, and I've been working with her now for, I don't know, about six years. And she's still technically the chapter coordinator of our Southern Style chapter that covers four states <laughs> down in the south. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's sort of um, it's a chapter that evolves and grows and shrinks as it needs to, and uh, it's not something that requires a lot of time and effort, but it's a, it's a place that we exist when, when the time is right, when, we, when we're needed. And we're going to work on, on building this up a little bit, I think, in the next little while as we're, as we're doing some building. Um, let's see. We've also got um, – hang on a second. Let me just go back through my list. I've got Tom Corby going to be coming on to give the NorCal report. We have Craig Cecil. He's going to be calling from federal prison. Um, we have Dolores um, Del Dolores Halbin, who we just did a letter-writing campaign for, and she's going to tell us about her moral turpitude case. Imagine the audacity of this, a moral turpitude case about cannabis, especially directed at a health profession professional, a, a, an RN. They stripped her of her license, and hopefully that will get reversed. But it, it wasn't so much that she violated some law. They charged her with a crime of moral turpitude, which is just saying you're a crappy person. You did some crappy things, and, and, and you're just not a good person. And just never a more heinous charge was levied. Um, I wrote a letter on her behalf, and I know a bunch of others did as well. And so uh, we're going to talk about that and hopefully the outcome will be what what we would want. Um, 
All right, we got Galen Fisher going to be calling in with the Las Vegas report. He's dealing with a judge that um, just doesn't want to follow their marijuana laws. Go figure. You know, I've been telling people for, I don't know, ever that these laws we pass, I know it's something, it's something that we need to do. But at the end of the day, these laws are only as valid as the law enforcement people uh, that decide or decide not to follow it. And it goes all the way up the chain of command to judges. And I have sat in many courtrooms and witnessed many judges that say, you know what, I know the law kind of says this, but I don't care. It's not going to happen in my court. And then I guess technically we have an appeals court for that. But, um, you know, it's their they're just getting paid to do their job, and we have to sacrifice our quote-unquote free time, spare time, and pay our money to uh, make sure that we're represented correctly, whether it's you know the effort it takes to represent ourselves or to get a counsel one way or the other. It takes a sacrifice from our side. So um, that's what we're up against today. All right, folks, I've got a lot of show to come, and we're going to begin the show. Uh, we're going to bring up Sharon Raver and Kim Smith, all both at the same time, and then we'll bring up Shauna next, and then uh, probably uh, Craig will call in, and then we're going to uh, bring Kirsten in. We'll continue on the show from there. So first up, we're going to bring Sharon Raybert, and let's see, here you are. Sharon, my friend, how are you doing today? Good evening, Joe. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. We had a great, great uh, weekend or week at uh, Netroots, and I'm looking forward to sharing this time with Kim. Absolutely. Hang on a second. I'm going to bring Kim up now, and here we go. Kim Smith. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the show, Kim. You are on live with myself and Sharon Rabert. That is awesome. I did. I also had a great. Uh, well, the one day I could go when I wasn't working, <laughs> but I was. I was glad to finally meet you for the first time after working with you for six years, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of wild, and 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 people need to understand the nature of of our organization, and you know, many organizations that are similar to ours. Um, it's it, sometimes it seems like we've got you know an army of people and a staff and an office building somewhere and and all this stuff. Uh, truth is, we're just a bunch of volunteers that uh, connect on on phone calls and social networking and and emails and conference calls and and we just you know kind of hold each other up. And um, right on. It, it's amazing though that we're able to do this in such a way that that makes such an effect. And so um, there was a time about six years ago that we were you know, doing chapter building quite a bit, and, um, you know, uh, you, Kim, you were in uh, Tennessee, I believe, at the time, right? Yes, I was. I actually started, uh, heard about the human solution through someone messaging me on Facebook and found out about, you know, who they were, what they did, and there was uh, Marilyn and Crash Campbell. Um, their case was coming up and really felt that we could apply it to that and have just tried to stay with it ever since. Well, um, I know I, I really want to talk a little bit about our, our new coalition that we're building and, and kind of the, the goodness that came out of, of the Netroots Nation conference. And I want to talk a little bit about Peachtree Normal as well. Um, you know, I have had a mixed bag of emotions when it came to the Normal organization over the years. 
um, because when I got busted, they were the first ones I reached out to, and they offered no help at all. But it turned out that there was a local chapter, the Orange County Normal, um, that gave me a voice, and they said, hey, you can come and join our meeting and you know talk to the people and, and see what's happening. And, and so um, it was kind of a result of, of um, Candace Hawes and some of the folks over there that gave me the initial, actually I met my attorney at, at one of their meetings and was able to uh, get him to you know, champion my case and, and accept payments and all of that. At the end of the day, uh, we were piggybacking when we finally turned into the Human Solution. They gave us a venue to piggyback our meetings on, and, and they showed up at court support, and they would, you know, help us out with some prison outreach and write letters to prisoners. And then when I heard about Peachtree Normal, they were kind of not a normal, normal chapter. <laughs> and they were very similar in my in my mind to how Orange County Normal was. They were actually a, a 501c3 instead of a c4, um, which is kind of a little different slant, which is kind of how we are as well. And I just was always impressed with the fact that they would come out and go to court for other people. And, you know, I've always said I don't care what banner you wear. This is – I don't care what flag you carry. Carry them all if you like or don't carry any. This is all about the the, the victims of the drug war. This is about the prisoners, the defendants. And it's about our grandkids and our great-grandkids who haven't been born yet. And – you know, um, I got a chance to spend some good time with Sharon, and um, you know, Sharon, I, I feel like you understand this in a way that a you know, few people do. And um, you know, when we decided to work together and and really kind of you know expand this coalition, um, I've I've been watching as more and more people are are coming aboard. And you know, we sat down at a at a meal with Neil Franklin from Leap and. I gained some understanding about LEAP, and I have a, a deeper respect for their organization as I learned that, you know, Neil was actually an active-duty officer when he decided to uh, uh, support ending prohibition, and I, I didn't realize that prior. And um, what are your thoughts about how this is going now, as far as bringing in, you know, some new folks and, and, and sort of tying this thread of, of other facets of civil rights organizations working together to end prohibition well you know we've been working hard all over the country to do this and it's finally become this perfect storm um this is a civil rights a freedom a liberty issue and it's one that can't be ignored anymore i mean you know as well as i do when they brought about prohibition of alcohol it only took 13 years to repeal it and we've been fighting this well, at least Normal's been fighting this since the 1970s, and you know, as far as the cannabis issue and marijuana law reform. Um, but to bring in other folks uh, that have been fighting civil rights, whether it be for civil rights or, you know, gay rights or anything else, it's all, all of us are humans. So it all boils down to human rights. And do we have rights on this planet as human beings. Um, so so I feel really strongly that this is a coalition that is going to end prohibition. And once we end that, we will look for other ways to uh, end violations of our human rights. There's a lot of it going on. It's not just marijuana, although that's the most egregious and, the, and I believe probably the one that's going to be easier to fix than any 
I just see it as a bigger picture connecting the dots, mass incarceration, racism, and prohibition is what we talked about at Netroots, and it all intertwines. And so, you know, we're really thankful for the human solutions. Kim is amazing. She, um, I met her years ago when she was in Tennessee and found out that she, we went to a conference up there and found out that she would soon be moving to uh, the Atlanta area and immediately started begging her to join us. <laughs> and uh, thank goodness she did, and we're so thankful for her. But, you know, she, she brought a lot of organizations like the Human Solutions and Fiji into our into our view. Um, so she's the one that introduced and, and kind of started this whole thing, whether she realizes it or not. Um, and so we're glad to still have her on the team. And and I'm just appreciative of everybody that's joining the team. And I think it will continue to grow. And, and at some point we've got to stop the madness and just end prohibition altogether uh, because it's, these incremental steps are just killing us. And people are still going to jail. People are still dying uh, because of this war on cannabis, and which is actually a war on families, communities. Well, that's absolutely the case, and and as we're working on our message for this coalition, you know, that was one of the big focuses that we all agreed on was the cost of prohibition. You know, the the the, the victims uh, it goes deep into families and 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 children and parents and and property and jobs and and everything, and it 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 goes it it becomes generational. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing though at this organization or at this at this conference. We talked to heads of a number of different uh, nonprofit organizations, and one of the things that I found, I don't know, it was kind of ironic, I think. I always thought it was really just a cannabis movement thing um, that, that, you know, we, the battles that we deal with, with personalities and egos and, and you know, burnout and volunteerism, <laughs> leadership issues, um, splinter groups, and all of those things that you know the cannabis movement is just so riddled with. Um, but after talking to other civil rights and and other you know like-minded uh, leaders of of other groups, it turns out it's a human problem. I think um, it turns <laughs> out that. You know, yeah, we don't farm, corner the market on that. Apparently not. I, you know, all the whole time, I, I just believed in my heart that if I could just get outside of the cannabis movement, I would find a whole other group of people that just, you know, were beyond all that. <laughs> and turns out it, it's it's just a, a systemic issue. And, and I think that if if we were to really get our message out there, it's that our enemies get paid to be our enemies. And we, mm-hmm. as the, the, the freedom fighters, um, we sacrifice everything to be who we are and to do what we do. Um, none of us exactly. get paid to do this. In fact, it costs us dearly to do this. I had to take a week <laughs> off of work um, to, you know, the, my business that I run uh, to, to be up there, but I thought it was important enough. Um, and and everybody that, that attends uh, an event like this or anything else, uh, court support that goes on for days, um, it's a sacrifice where the cops, yeah, they get paid overtime for it sometimes. The judges, they get paid. The prosecutors get paid. The bailiffs get paid. Hell, the drivers of the buses that take the inmates to the court get paid. Everybody gets paid but us. And I think it's important if we realize this. If we're going to be this ragtag group of amazing superheroes that's going to 
defy the logic, defy the odds, and come back and beat this. Uh, we've just got to really keep that as what's in our sight and forget about how you feel about it or the other person and forget about the thing that bothers you or pisses you off or irritates you. Remember how irritated you would be if your daughter or granddaughter was taken from you or locked up because they decided to use cannabis as their medicine. Um, I think if we can just get to that place, I think we can really do it. I really feel that this coalition is the beginning of the answer. You know, we've been talking about it for years, but I feel like it's really happening. So I'm just really proud to be working with both of you guys, and um, I really feel strongly. I've I've been dreaming about it. (laughs) When something gets into my dreams, um, it's as good as done, i got to tell you. Nice, nice. Yes, yeah, so we're we're we need to mainly focus on amplifying each other's voices. Stop patting ourselves on the back, pat others on the back, and encourage them because one voice will not change this. It's going to take hundreds of thousands. You know, there can be those leaders out there, but we need the listeners to get involved in 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 speaking out about this. And it's really important to just build. what I call an army. I mean, we're in the battle of a lifetime for generations, and and it's time to stop fighting battles and end the war. Um, Oh, so true. On that note, I do want to give a shout-out. I just, you know, I've been thinking about how all of these things have been coming to play. And a couple of years ago uh, when I was in Kansas, and we were organizing the the Kyler Carriker support which turned out to be just an amazing, I believe, a, an historical um, outcome. But one of the things that came from that was we raised up the vibration enough to where other people were watching and listening. And I met a man named Bobby Rodrigo. Didn't meet him in person, met him over the phone. Um, and been working with him now for a little more than two years. Um, just met him for the first time in Denver with when I met you, Sharon. Um, but Bobby is part of... I don't know how many organizations. I go back and look 40. at his resume. Probably, yeah, 40 or 50. But, you know, I've never met a man who was um, so active in making things happen. This is Craig calling in, um, so I'm going to go ahead and take this call real quick, and we're going to have a little sure. talk with Craig Cecil. Have a good day call. You will not be charged for this call. Who's calling from? Craig Cecil. An inmate at... Craig Cecil, how are you doing today? A federal prison being recorded and subject to monitoring. Hang up to decline the call. Craig, are you there? Hello, Joe. How's it going today? Good, good. I'm checking in from uh, the country at Terre Haute, Indiana. Well, you know, um, when we when we talked last Saturday, I was at the the Netroots uh, Nation convention or conference in Atlanta, um, and today we have a number of people, um, both that were present there, and we have Shauna Banda on the line who um, just settled her case from Kansas. Um, we've got a whole lot of people here uh, today, and we're talking about. Uh, human rights, and we're talking about standing together and, and putting aside our own personal little battles. And, and I believe that, um, you know, this sort of perfect storm of, of people getting upset and angry and, and all the craziness that's happened, it's a, it's a perfect opportunity for us to unite 
and, um, and, and, and speak with one voice. What's your thoughts on that? Well, as you know, uh, you and I have been riding together for what, four years now. It's been a while. And, uh, and there's a, a number of people that were Human Solution members, you know, from the get-go, and some of them came, you know, after a year, after two years. But surprisingly, so many of them uh, branched off on their own to start their own venture, and not because, you know, really anything bad had happened to them or there was even a, you know, a major event, just, you know, over petty little things where I, I think <laughs> some people have lost sight of the goal sometimes. <laughs> exactly. That, that's what, you know, that's what I'm hoping will unite people when they look solely at the goal and, you know, look past, uh, you know, petty personality things. Sure. Uh, what? What does that just echo what you were just saying? <laughs> yeah, he hit the nail on the head. Hey, dear, I talked to you uh, in Atlanta a couple of days ago. I hope you're doing well. That that's Sharon Raver. You spoke to her on on Saturday, um, and she had just got through basically saying the same thing that you were just saying. You know, it's it's funny. We were. I was just mentioning that. You know, I met a whole bunch of other leaders of other civil rights. Uh, organizations and they were all complaining about the same problems. Turns out it's not just a cannabis thing. It's a, it's a volunteer. I don't know, human thing. This call is from a federal prison. But well, any- I think my part of it just might be a personality type. If you're outgoing enough to, you know, be willing to help others and actually not just talk about it or think about it, to actually stand up and do it. You know, you're that type of strong personality that maybe clashes with other strong personalities. <laughs> it might be an inherent problem that, you know, I, I think the solution is, is really just to keep the reins on the goal. <laughs> I, I couldn't uh, agree more. You know, there's been a lot of little, um, I don't know, poems and memes and things that have been written about about activists and the, the sort of type of person that it takes to be an activist, and I think you're right. There's some sort of a very um, extraordinary, exceptional, uh, quirky, to say it nicely, um, element that every one of us, I think, has. And, and I think on top of it, most of us are pretty broken. We've all had something traumatic happen to us or to somebody we love so much that it moved us to do something about it.
it's really going to start drawing the people in to where, like Sharon was saying, we get an army of millions to stand up. We outnumber our enemies by a thousand to one, ten thousand to one, a hundred thousand to one. All we have to do is just stand up at once, and I think that's all we got to do. And as you know, what what I'm hoping is the catalyst is that Jeff Sessions and some of the other, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, the other marijuana haters. <laughs> I'm hoping that that they do a concerted, you know, attack on the marijuana industry, you know, the retail industry, the marijuana medical industry, because I think if they bring that attack, that will unite people, you know, more strongly than ever. Well, I, I think you're right. That, uh, I think we saw a little bit of that in the events of September 11th. The country was very fractured after the uh, uh, Bush-Gore election, and uh, I mean, it was kind of all over the place. But then once an outsider attacked, you know, then it, it united the country behind, you know, President Bush. <laughs> and I'm hoping the same thing happens, you know. Well, you know, it's starting to happen in places where uh, legalization has happened. Um, there's always been this pushback that happens. And uh, I just saw a story that came up where a man's home was being attacked and his wife actually was killed in the event. And he called the police to help. And when the police came out there, they noted that um, he had some cannabis plants. And I believe it was more than he was allowed to have. And they arrested him. And I believe he got hit with a quarter-million-dollar bond out of this. And, you know, I'm just only hoping that the good that can come out of this is the outrage. You know, people believe if we just pass this law, we're going to be good to go. And the truth is... Even in your own state where the law was passed, um, the state charges and the state uh, defendants are outnumber the federal cases by probably 100 or 1,000 to 1. And I hope that it does begin to outrage the people as these attacks on our rights begin to, uh, you know, escalate. I I think, again, the, the, the climate is right for it, the the Barometric pressure is right for a superstorm, and I think that you know we just got to get our message together and get it right. And I, believe it or not, I think the uh, marijuana advocates have an advantage. And what we saw the events over the weekend in uh, Virginia, um, with all the violence and just the, the crazy people running over people with cars and that. I don't think those people are in the marijuana advocacy group. I would venture a guess that none of those people that were involved in the, the hate side of that were, were part of the cannabis movement. I, I would be willing to, to, to bet dimes to dollars on it. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was wild because right as that was happening, it was at the end of the convention. And I, I went up to my room when it was all said and done. I was beat. I took a little nap. I woke up from my nap, and I was watching pictures of this march. And Sharon and some of the others and the whole organization, this whole, this whole thing, there was probably a, a couple hundred people, they marched to the Capitol and back in the time that I was sleeping on for an hour or so. 
Uh, it blew me away. And Sharon goes, you know, you're in Atlanta. This, is, this kind of stuff just happens. <laughs> so my my hope is. Well, I, I think that that's one of the reasons that we're going to be focusing quite a bit of our effort in Atlanta and the surrounding areas. For that reason, um, we're getting attention from, you know, other like-minded organizations, and, and these folks are used to getting to the streets, taking to the streets and, and letting their voice be heard. Um, uh, Sharon and, and, and her team spend a lot of time at the Capitol and, and in courtrooms, and, and they're known by uh, the judges and the politicians, and so I just can't help but think if they start representing more and more and more people in groups, they're going to get more attention from these folks. Now, do you know, I've expressed the, the concern that's been raised with me is that there's not a complete plan, should I say, to uh, deschedule marijuana. There's, there's the plan to deschedule it, but I think at the federal level there needs to be, along with that, there has to be, you know, essentially like the uh, medical laws, there has to be a repeal and replace. So if we deschedule marijuana altogether, as it should be, I think there needs to be at the same time a bill, you know, right in hand that says, here's how we'll regulate it. You know, we'll regulate it something like alcohol. And well, as long as, as long as the end of it is not a criminal offense, we can regulate it any way you like. Um, you know, if, if you... Um, if you violate uh, an alcohol uh, law in manufacturing it, I guess technically you could find yourself in jail, but primarily, um, you know, I don't know, alcohol is kind of a funny, kind of a funny uh, analogy. I think I'd like to regulate it more like tomatoes. Um, but at the end of the day, part of our focus as a coalition is to bring about not only attention to the problem, but to the solution, and we're drafting up um, a, a, some clear messaging that are going to create a pathway to that, and it's going to include, um, you know, uh, the prison reform part that's necessary. It, we're not done until there aren't pot prisoners anymore. There's no reason for there to be a pot prisoner or for any other drug prisoner for that matter. Um, so that is absolutely part of our agenda, and really – the primary focus of the agenda is an educational, um, you know, outreach. That's the answer to this whole thing. And I think education is also key, you know. How many Americans really know that there is a medical, uh, valid medical uses for marijuana? You know, maybe people heard on the side a little bit or heard more as a rumor that, you know, as a, a mainstream effort. I, I think that'll help it. And I think just a bill in Congress that had opened up just from, you know, a discussion amongst all the news networks, I think that'll bring out the, the merits of uh, declassification. Well, absolutely. Um, and, you know, frankly, more and more people are, are getting this every day. More and more people are being touched by somebody who um, could have used this medicine to stay alive. And more and more scientific studies are being done, and more and more knowledge is coming about this plant and how it works, and especially the fact that as we're learning more, we're, we're not finding any negative sides. We're not finding, uh, you know, that, that, that horror story that lays within it like so many other drugs. 
we still don't have a proven case of death by cannabis. It hasn't happened. And you just can't say that about any other drug or, hell, any other compound at all for that matter. And as you know, you know, I've uh, out around behind a saying that uh, it's only people like me that are the victims of marijuana. And we're not victimized by the plant or the THC or uh, anything like that. We're victimized by the laws and law enforcement. <laughs> well, there's, you can't find a victim otherwise. There's an old saying. It, it's um, the only, uh, you know, the, the, the negative side effect of, of cannabis is law enforcement or something like that. I, I'm not good at remembering old sayings, but, uh, you know, that's that's the only harm that could come of it is, is you know, the negative effect of, of law enforcement. Um, you know, Craig, you usually have, we're coming up on the end of the of the time here, you normally have, um, you know, some little thing that you've, that you've picked up along the week of something that's been been happening out there. You why don't you share whatever the the latest thing out of Terre Haute is? Um, Terre Haute has been quiet. Uh, we we have a new warden and uh, some new uh, top staff, so they keep getting all scared. Uh, you know, little fights or all that that are you know they're they're mistaking them for big gang fights and locking us down and all that. But hopefully they're starting to settle in and they, they'll lock a lot less. But and you'd have to get a laugh out of this. I bet you can guess what I had for supper tonight. Oh, jeez. I, I don't even want to go there, but go ahead and tell us. It's like, once again, it's a bologna sandwich. Oh, <laughs> God. We, we eat so many turkey bologna sandwiches. <laughs> I am sorry, Craig. Again, that was supper tonight. Oh, well. But, uh, and just last uh, little good news is my daughter had surgery yesterday, and it was a success. And even though I'm stuck here, I've been... Ah, and there he goes. Once again, folks, um, this is the reality. Craig Cecil is serving a life sentence. Um, it's 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 just one of those things that blows me away. Um, the the short amount of time I I was locked up was enough. To learn that this is so wrong, and um, you know, a few months behind bars, away from my family, away from food that you could eat, away from air you could breathe, away from people you would want to be around, um, over the in the name of this plant was certainly enough that says it's 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 so wrong, it's so heinous, and no one should ever be here for that. And even the people inside recognize that. Um, we just have to change this, folks. We just have to change this. All right, folks. All right. Well, I wanted to uh, – Kirsten is now on the line. Um, I want to wrap up um, with Sharon and Kim, but I was talking about Bobby Rodrigo, and I want to finish my thought. Um, Bobby Rodrigo um, is working with the Coffee Party Radio Network. Uh, he's working with uh, um, uh, the Tax Revolution Institute. Uh, I think he's part of Panda. He's part of uh, – we do it better, uh, just so many organizations. Uh, he's also connected very strongly with some of the mainstream media. He's a guy who knows how to make things happen. <laughs> I, I sort of in jest would call him the go-to guy, which he didn't want to be, but he was. He was the guy that made this whole thing happen. He was the guy that made sure we all had a room. He was the guy that made sure I got picked up from the airport in a place I'd never been. 
Um, he was a guy that made sure I had a table that I could uh, set my stuff up on. Um, uh, I just He's a guy that's made it possible for us to have this radio show on his network um, without us having to pay for, you know, a uh, subscription like we were doing before. Um, and it just, there are a few exceptional people out there who get it in a way that so many don't. Um, uh, we're all a pain in the ass in one way or another, but um, I just really want to give props to Bobby Rodrigo. He's a man who's um, elevated a lot of others and never looks to, you know, have the glory set on his own shoulders. Um, all right, Sharon. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and round this segment up. Anything else you want to you want to throw down here before we bring up Kirsten? Uh, one quick thing. I went to uh, yesterday with a group of people from Cobb County and spoke to uh, the trainers who trained the recruits for Cobb County Police Academy. And we trained them all about the medical marijuana laws, about marijuana, about naloxone and the Good Samaritan law that we passed a couple of um, couple of years ago. And every single police officer we talked to wants to legalize cannabis. Really? We've got to find a way to get them to be able to speak out, and I'm not sure how it is. But all these great minds listening to this radio station, we need to figure out a way to give them cover to come out against prohibition because none of them want to be messing with it. They don't want to mess with it. I point blank heard them saying, we wish it was legal. We don't want to F with this anymore. They even dropped an F-bomb. Well, as it should be, as it should be. When I put it, it gets worse. Leave that there so people can brainstorm and think about it, and maybe on your next show we can discuss that a little bit further. Where are we going with that? I, I actually think that's great. In fact, let's go ahead and ink that. Here's one of the things um, I've been talking with my executive directors. We were doing a show um, only when I had a good guest or a series of guests, and we decided that what happens to the audience when you don't do a live show every week is that they start going away and so i have actually committed to doing a live show every week and if i don't have a guest to come aboard i'll i'll talk for a half an hour um give craig his 15 minutes and we'll sign off um but that being said i'm going to encourage people um to to jump in be part of this show this is your show just as much as my show and um you know, Sharon, I think uh, that was you volunteering. So uh, we're going to use this as a bully pulpit, and we're going to use this to bring our messaging together, and we can coordinate um, uh, effort and support for this coalition using this vehicle. So um, we're, let's just go ahead and, and ink that uh, topic for next week. All right. I'll be here. Everybody <laughs> join beautiful. on and spread the word right, about Kim, a couple uh, Say again? I said, and have all your listeners spread the word of a cup of joe. And Bobby Rodrigo, here, here. I agree. Absolutely. Good night. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sharon. All right, Kim, you got a last couple uh, minutes before or seconds before we bring uh, Kirsten Tynan up. I just want to say, um, make sure that you, uh, we were talking about dealing with all those other personalities and just doing all of these different things as activists because it is such a large, I guess, um, well, there's more than one thing we have to focus on. And you can get burnout easily, but the 
the best thing I've found in doing it year after year after year is to celebrate even the smallest of victories. Any step forward, yeah. use that to energize yourself, and you can keep going. That is some words of wisdom, my friend, words of wisdom. And, and that's the key. This is this is not a, a, a sprint. This is a race to the finish line, and, you know, the finish line is, is – getting in reach but we've still got a long way to go this is a marathon so you know we pace ourselves and we look for whatever it is that inspires us to keep taking the next few steps uh, thank you so much kim and um uh, i encourage you Thanks to stay on the line and listen we oh you betcha i will be back all right once again kim smith right. with southern style human solution and peachtree normal all right here we go we've got our featured guest we have kirsten tynan um, I met Kirsten in person a couple of years back in Spokane where we were uh, doing some jury outreach out at the federal courthouse and uh, shot some videos, some training videos. And uh, we've been working with FIJA, the Human Solutions has been working with FIJA for, I don't know, I think six or seven years now, um, maybe even longer. Uh, we actually co-created um, a, a bit of literature that uh, we get printed up um, and gets included in the jury rights package. But we're here today to talk about Jury Rights Day. Um, Kirsten, welcome to the show. You're executive director of FIJA, um, and uh, you guys have been doing great work for a long time. I think you're one of the few organizations that I, I haven't seen any splinter groups come out of. How, how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Good to talk to you again. Um, <laughs> Uh, I I don't know. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> Probably well, we don't have because, a million volunteers. Yeah, we we don't have a huge uh, grissy. It's basically uh, if something needs to get done, I got to do it myself. <laughs> so, ah, there you go. Not, and if you left, not it ideal be there, working. Right? Yeah, you know, if if someone wants to splinter off, they're they're. I mean. What would that, that would even be a look multiple like? I don't know. Personality complex. That <laughs> yeah. wouldn't be cool. <laughs> so yeah, we have we have a lot of volunteers, and if uh, they want to do outreach according to our guidelines, we work with them. If they don't, they can do it elsewhere. Otherwise, and a few people <laughs> yeah, have. I, I want to talk about that briefly because we've had conversation about that in the past about. Uh, you know, you hear stories about people um, getting problems uh, as a result of, you know, trying to share information about jurors' rights and jury nullification. And um, in the past, the conversation you and I have had has been most of the time that happens, uh, the people are kind of bringing it on themselves. They're doing things that would cause that to happen. Now, there's a recent case, and I frankly don't know all the details about it, um, I, is does that follow along the same lines, um, or uh, I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't bring my notes. Michigan about or Denver? <laughs> I think, I, well, I, I think it was Denver actually. Okay. Well, in Denver, um, it, they probably were were acting mostly according to our guidelines. The one thing that kind of was unhelpful in Denver was there was some vulgarity and that sort of thing that went along with it. But I will yeah. say, as far as handing out stuff, the two people who got arrested for handing out our brochures, the charges were dropped very quickly thereafter because they weren't doing anything illegal. <laughs> and I think right. uh, well, that was to their credit that they were following the guidelines as far as that. Um, good, good, good. That said, it's, it's – 
of course, everyone's First Amendment right to uh, speak whatever <laughs> language they want. But for right. our purposes, it's probably it, it going to be antagonistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to be antagonistic anybody. to. Yeah, it, it, it's antagonistic to police, and it's probably off-putting to the people we're trying to get to consider these ideas if we're using foul language and whatnot. So. Yeah, I, I think you know when we talk about our coalition building, um, one of the main points that we have is, you know, we're, we're all given our time to be here. So why don't we just be effective? You know, why don't we use things that work? There's proven tools that we already know have been successful, and there's things that we know that have been damaging. So, you know, it just makes a little bit of common sense, do the things that work and avoid the things that cause problems, right? Yeah, and definitely pay attention to, you know, even things that seem innocuous to us. You know, pay attention, see what results you're getting, and adjust your own strategy if you if you don't think your results are what you want them to be. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about Jury Rights Day. Um, I don't know. I think it was probably about five years ago or so that we, uh, the headquarters chapter, uh, began. It might have been six years ago. I don't know. We've we've done it um, all but all but one year. We've actively had a, a, a campaign, um, and I think it was last year because of the holiday. There was just some kind of conflict. We couldn't get everybody together, um, but. Basically, the whole concept of Jury Rights Day is um, usually a group of people, more than one person, but one person could do it, um, makes an effort to uh, get to a place where there's going to be some public visibility, and um, you get out there and you you educate people. What uh, What are your suggestions on how to be effective? Yeah, so Jury Rights Day, for people who don't know, is our signature day call to action for everyone across the country to come out and spend an hour at their local courthouse or wherever else you find you'd be effective to hand out jury nullification information and talk to people about the concept. And most people um, end up at their local courthouse. All they have to do is basically get some literature, which we are happy to supply. We do Jury Rights Day kits every year. Um, and hand the, offer them to people. If someone wants one, they'll take one. If they don't, don't force it on them. Don't, like, chase them down to try and badge them into taking it. There are plenty <laughs> more people. So um, if, we books. found that most effective is when people say, would you like some information? <laughs> Interestingly yeah, I remember enough, the shorter and more brief you, you are. <laughs> yeah, when we were out at, yeah. uh, at Spokane, I I. I, I was with you specifically to just watch how you did it. Um, you know, we all have our way of reaching out to folks, and uh, more often than not, we'll set up a table and have, you know, four or five people mm-hmm. out there and, you know, sort of work canvas the area. Um, and I tend right. to be the guy that sits back and answers the more complicated questions when we have, the you know, our getters. <laughs> and and they go out and hand, the, you know, hand out the cards. But you were very methodical and very... Mm-hmm thorough and and uh very polite and we handed out quite a few uh pamphlets while we were out there yeah generally i try to just eyeball around me a certain distance where i think i can get to someone if they're approaching anyone who comes in that circle of me who is not already engaged in conversation with someone else or talking on a cell phone i offer them a piece of literature we don't ask who they are. We don't want to know if you're a juror or not. We don't care if you're a cop or a prosecutor or a defense attorney or 
random person. We're trying to educate everyone. This is not specifically targeting any particular case. Um, we discourage mixing case, ag act, act, sorry, case advocacy with jurorized education because you want to be clear that you're just doing general outreach and not open up that door that might allow someone to falsely accuse you of jury tampering. So those are some things that can kind of insulate you from that. And for the most part, people don't get a, get a problem with that. Um, but sometimes when there is a very visible case going on, that's when courthouse officials panic and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because you actually have that as part of, you know, your protocols. Uh, if we do have a case coming up, um, we don't want somebody to just come out there a week before the, the trial. Uh, the, the goal yeah. is because then they could, you know, have grounds to say, hey, you're here specifically to affect this one jury. Um, but the the way that we approach that is if there's going to be a case coming up in six months, you begin a campaign and you, you come out there, you know, every week or twice a month or you become a regular out there mm -hmm. disseminating this information. And number yeah, one, and you're going to reach more people. Go yeah, ahead. and that also helps kind of shake out any of the issues where if they're going to come out and chase you away and you just showed up on the first day of the, the trial that you think is important, <laughs> then you're going to right. have lost your opportunity. But if that happens six months beforehand and then you look into it and figure out that they're telling you you have to leave because of, say, we had someone chased off because they were claimed to be soliciting, we don't solicit. That involves any sort of financial transaction or contract, and we don't do that. You know, you can kind of figure those things out and push back and establish your presence so that you are there on, at the time that it's important to you without having to deal with that in the moment. I agree, and, and I think that, um, you know, if you look, if you'd spend enough time at court, which many of us do, you, you learn things, and there are certain groups of people that tend to be always there, right? And there's the bail bond people out there trying to hand out their cards. There's In, in, in Riverside, California, there's the Jehovah Witness guy that's always handing out his stuff, and, uh, you know, his, his little thing is, would you like something to read while you're waiting? And... People take it, and <laughs> they probably read it. Um, and, you know, it, it's just a matter of becoming part of uh, of that environment for a little while. And, you know, frankly, the more regular we do it, the better off we're going to be, the more people we're going to reach. This is really, um, it's an educational campaign that it's not ever specifically directed at just one thing. It's if more people, if the jury pool in the grand sense understood their rights as jurors, I think the court system would be much different. What do you think? Absolutely. I think that a lot of what goes on now is allowed only because jurors are not involved in the vast majority of criminal cases. There are actually probably 95 plus percent of criminal charges are settled without the presence of a jury usually by plea bargaining. So it's really prosecutor nullification that's going on. Uh, they're oh, basically so saying, hey, hey, we'll drop charges to buy your agreement to get punished. And if people had access oh, to jurors so. instead, and those jurors knew they didn't have to punish someone for things that don't harm anyone or that don't warrant as serious a punishment as is specified by the judge, then things would certainly be a lot different. 
Well, and that's one of the messages that we have, uh, you know, when, I, when I'm at an event or, or talking to people about what we do, uh, it's that, that's one of the salient points I bring out. You know, it, it, I think the latest uh, figures are up to as high as 97%. And when I first started mm-hmm. doing this, it was around 93%. Now, I don't have actual figures to back that up. I don't know if they can even be had. But it's in the high 90s for sure. And, you know, I, I tell people, I said, just imagine if twice the amount of people took their case to trial as due, and, 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 you know, even if it doubled it by 3%, that would just be a huge impact on the court systems. And mm-hmm. it would cause jurors to have to he- see and hear and listen to some of these, these cases. And, and, you know, in the courts themselves, when you have judges – the same judge that are trying, you know, violent crimes and, um, you know, property crimes and all these crimes that have victims, and then they see a pot case. You know, the judges themselves more often, more and more often are, are you know, saying, what the heck is this? Why are, you, why are you in my court? Why are you doing this? Why isn't this being settled? And I think that's a, that's a great question. Why isn't it being settled? Because it shouldn't be a crime. And it doesn't have to just be about pot. I mean, there's a lot of bad laws. I mean, that's the thing that jury nullification really brings up. It's it's challenges any law that is unjust or immoral. It's not it has really nothing to do with cannabis. I mean, it, it came out of religion for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I will point out specifically with respect to cannabis cases it is becoming harder and harder to get a jury to convict in cases that are like simple possession or things like that. And so you see prosecutors looking for ways to amp up the charges so that the defendant seems a lot scarier and more sinister. So you'll see totally innocuous firearms related charges or like money laundering charges or conspiracy to blah, blah, blah charges that are, added on specifically to help poison the minds of the jurors into thinking, oh, this is a big deal. You know, this is something sinister and evil. And now, you know, there's, they're obviously bringing this to us for a reason. Instead of just look, if you look at them all and see, well, there was, okay, in this case, there was a firearm on the property of the, uh, the owner that wasn't used for anything. They are a hunter or something. And of course they would have that. It, it's totally innocuous, but it just, you know, adding those in kind of helps poison the minds. And not only in the nature of the charges, but in the having a huge laundry list of charges, that kind of gives people a sense that, well, they wouldn't be accusing them of so many things if they hadn't done something bad. And so it's a, it's a tactic that is increasing just because jurors are more and more unwilling to convict someone for these ridiculous, simple things. And unfortunately, it's an effective tactic. I, I, I challenge, you know, one of the, the hazards, in my opinion, of legalization, and again, I'm using cannabis as cannabis prohibition as, as my, um, you know, cause du jour, but, you know, we could apply this across the board, is that when something becomes legal, everything that's outside of those bounds are still illegal. And in no case that I know of any law that's been passed, is it is it equitable where somebody who needs more than that law allows has any way to get it. Um, and so what happens is is they'll 
say, well, this was an illegal grow or this was an illegal operation. And unfortunately, so many people that might support somebody's right to possess or, or, or cultivate or ingest any substance, um, you know, where this should be a right to privacy issue for anything, for God's sake, the people, the same very people that were supportive of legalization will turn around and say, well, you know, he was breaking the law. And, you know, when they start throwing together these, you know, weapons charges and, and you know, these happen a lot of times in rural areas where everybody has a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, but, exactly. you know, they pass these laws in such a way that say, well, if you have your six plants, you don't get to have a gun. Well, what if you need a gun where you live? I mean, you know, or you, mm-hmm. you still have a constitutional right to have one, but not you, you you give that up if you choose to exercise these rights. And I just find that people are more and more likely, I don't know if it's more and more likely, but I just encounter a lot of people that um, sort of, mm-hmm. they waffle when it comes to this. And I, I I think it's a more difficult message that we have now. And I think mm-hmm. it's it's really just getting to the core of it all, though, really, um, you know, that we have a lot of um, unjust and immoral laws out there and that we need to empower ourselves and we need to weigh this out as we're sitting in the jury box. Number one, get in that jury box. Number two, realize that you have this right or even this obligation to weigh the law as well as the evidence that's been presented to you. And if you think specifically about the weapons versus pot situation, (laughs) it's a brilliant tactic because a lot of people who are pro-gun rights are very anti-drug of any sort. And a lot of people who are pro-cannabis rights are very anti-gun. So when you mix those two, even though everyone's sympathetic to something, they also have a reason to dislike that defendant. And that's typically what's going to win out. Because people aren't thinking, well, hey, did this even hurt anyone? No. Why should I convict that? No, they're just thinking in terms of their own personal political beliefs. That's it's totally inappropriate to play out your politics and your your desires for how the world is going to operate and you know and satisfy your own whims by playing with someone else's life that way. You know, if they haven't hurt anyone, what is the reason that we are hurting them? Well, and I, I think what you just nailed it is is the whole idea of no victim, no crime. Um, you know, we have to look. I mean, I've sat in so many courtrooms um, waiting for a, a a hearing, and I've sat in sentencings of other, many, many other crimes. <clears throat> and what they do in a sentencing is they go through and they let the defendant and his family and his friends, sometimes they allow them to speak on their behalf. Um, they'll acknowledge letters that were written. But then at the end of it, they bring up the victim and the victim's family. And guess what? In most of these other cases, there is one. And in fact, in most of these other cases, it's the victim and the victim's family that brings their own court support. They're the ones that fill the courtroom. And the purpose of that is to demonstrate to the court how heinous this criminal is and that he should be punished. Um, But in every single pot case, every single one, there is not a victim nor a victim's family. I have yet to ever seen one. Is it the prosecutor in those cases who plays the victim, or how does that play out in the courtroom? Well, they try to claim the state is the victim, I think is what they do, and they they say that the resources that had to be spent, you know, on this, uh, enforcing the state's laws or whatever, uh, you know, they find some way to to be victimized. But the truth is there is no victim and there is no victim's family. And I think if if we just sort of 
clarify our message um, and 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 have it ha- have people to think on a on a you know fairly simple focused uh, light. You can weigh anything against that. Any law would be judged to be immoral or unjust if it made a criminal act out of something that had no victim, in my opinion, anyway, mm-hmm. and in a lot of people's opinions. So, um, you know, so many of our our possession type um, uh, laws, or or uh, you know, laws of of uh, you know, where, where nobody's rights were violated. Um, there's just all kinds of applications for this, and I think if we just were to empower ourselves, um, I believe still that we have probably the best legal system in the world. I'm not going to call it a justice system because it's not very just all the time, but it has the mechanism and the ability to be so if we were to demand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so anyways, maybe some of your, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, we, we actually haven't told your listeners what jury rights day is and what it represents. Yes. So we Let's should probably mention that because I know <laughs> you and I have talked about that before, but I bet you have a ton, ton of different listeners since the last time. <laughs> we do. There's always, always new listeners coming aboard. So why don't you tell us about jury rights day and we're going to encourage all of our chapters and members and any group of people and anybody, frankly, that's listening to this show um, to consider participating in Jury Rights Day. Uh, there's nothing more uh, rewarding than getting out there and, and enlightening one person or a dozen people that just didn't get it. And to start this off, the headquarters chapter of the Human Solution will be participating at the Riverside courthouse where we have in the past it's a spot between three courthouses right in front of a police station and it's just a great (laughs) spot where a lot of people come by so why don't you tell us about jury rights day and how our people can get involved absolutely so jury rights day is september 5th each year commemorates the 1670 trial of william penn for whom our state pennsylvania is named Uh, William Penn was a Quaker who was uh, arrested for publicly preaching the Quaker religion in violation of England's Conventicle Act at the time. And his jurors refused to convict him, even though they were imprisoned for a couple of days and had food and water, and perhaps worse than that, tobacco and fire withheld from them (laughs) to try and coerce them into changing their verdict. Well, they didn't. Uh, they got out. The verdict was grudgingly accepted by a furious judge, and that judge then fined and imprisoned them until they paid their fines for contempt of court for voting the quote-unquote wrong way. Well, I think it was about eight of them who paid their fines and got out of jail, but four actually appealed, and that led to a case called Bushel's case in which the um, jury foreman, Edward Bushel, and some others uh, were actually had their, their punishments overturned by a higher court, establishing that jurors cannot be punished for their verdicts. And so that is how jury nullification became um, in, ensconced in English common law, as well as some of our First Amendment freedoms, uh, assembly, uh, speech, and religion all trace back to that case as well. So we commemorate that on September 5th every year. Anyone who's interested, it's very simple to get something going. If you go to juryrightsday.com, that will shoot you over to uh, the Fully Informed Jury Association's webpage for Jury Rights Day. We've got some great suggestions on there for things you can do. Um, It's pretty easy to do, even if you're one person or just you and a buddy. 
You can go out to a courthouse pretty easily. We'll supply you with materials. You just need to fill out the request. And I think I have the deadline for that. I can't remember if it's August 25th or 28th, but it'll be on there. Um, so fill that out. Okay, there we go. I always have to back it up a little because Labor Day is in there. Labor Day is the day before Jury yeah. Rights Day, so shipping gets messed up. But um, get your request in. Um, we're going to do a small deposit this year, $20, to encourage people to follow through with um, getting us the information we need afterwards. Um, if you send that $20 deposit and uh, fill out the form and we get you a list on our website, we'll send you a kit that will include some Fiji literature I don't remember, uh, Joe, if you and I have talked about this, but we usually throw in some of your uh, postcards that you get done out. I will get a batch uh, printed and shipped to you as okay. we do, so for sure. Great. So we'll, we'll include those for um, the Human Solution International chapters and some other things. I'm working on getting maybe one or two more things to the printer, so we might have some new materials this year for everyone. Um, but basically, you get that. If you uh, send us the three pieces of information we need afterwards, within two weeks of your event, we'll give you your deposit back. The whole thing is free for you. There we go. I love it. I love it. And you know what? It, it, it's so difficult when you have something that you're willing to give away in, in the hopes of encouraging people to do things. Everybody raises their hand says, send it to me, send it to me. And then, as you know, <laughs> you say, okay, send me some pictures, would you? And, you know, the whole <laughs> idea is to perpetuate this. You share your you share your victories, like Kim was talking about. You know, let's, let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's show everybody how this works, and when you see it, more come. Um, it's right. important, folks, when yeah, you're doing it, take some pictures. How many people are taking selfies all day long? Well, take your damn selfies with the jury rights sign <laughs> or, you know, show yourself yeah. doing this work. What we want is pretty simple. We want you to send us a count of how many brochures you use. If you didn't use all of them, feel free to keep the rest. We just need to know for planning purposes how many to prepare for each year. Three pictures with the materials being used in some way. It could be you handing them to someone. It could be talking or reading, you know, talking to someone about them or reading them. Pretty simple there. And just two or three really short paragraphs, like six sentences total, <laughs> just telling us how the day went, you know, giving us some idea of the reactions you got from people, how it all went over. Very simple. Certainly worth 20 bucks of your time <laughs> to get your 20 bucks. And, and this is an offer I'm going to make to any of our chapters or groups of people. If for whatever reason you're willing to do a jury rights day and 20 bucks is going to hold you up, contact me and I'll make sure that your 20 bucks is covered. So don't let that be a hindrance. Just you better follow through if if you uh, <laughs> if, if you tell me you're going to do it. I, I need you to do it, or I'll come on down there and help you. Um, but but that's the end and, of the day. And it's, even it's, if, yeah, I will say even even if it does cost you twenty bucks, that's a huge deal. We usually send out uh, probably seventy to a hundred. Yeah, you you probably get depending on how big it is, <laughs> you could get quite a substantial deal on that. And the shipping, depending on which uh, mailer we use, we send in priority mail, so it's probably somewhere between. Fourteen and nineteen dollars just for the shipping alone. Just so. for the shipping, I, I I get it <laughs> yeah. exactly. No, it's we ship a lot of a lot of materials out too, and it's heavy, and you got to use flat rate stuff, and and plus the hassle of even putting it all together. I mean, you know, this is a, a labor of love, folks, and and this is just <laughs> something that imagine imagine this, okay? You got can got try or got charged with the crime. 
you as a righteous, indignant, enlightened individual said, this is a bunch of crap. I'm taking this to a jury trial. You are selecting a jury, and you somehow have a gut feeling that one of those jurors knows about their right to nullify. You're sitting in a trial. You're getting railroaded. I'm only speaking from experience and what I wish had happened. If one of my jurors had had the knowledge that they had, maybe I would have not been convicted. But at the end of the day, imagine if you come back and one juror, even if it's a hung jury, that one juror says, you know what, this was just not right, and I knew I had that right. I've witnessed three cases that I've sat in, two hung juries and one full uh, acquittal um, that were specifically jury nullification, and we found out later on from the jurors that that was the case. They knew their rights, they exercised their rights, and it worked. So just imagine that could be you. It just could be you. And the one thing I definitely want people to keep in mind is that let's say you know about jury nullification. If you're the one who's sitting in that hot seat, that's not going to help you. (laughs) You are the one person who is guaranteed never to be on your own jury. So really the value in it for anyone who is in any way at risk, which I would argue is pretty much all of us at this point in history, the only value for you is if you share that information with other people. So I definitely encourage everyone just to take an hour out of your day. Um, It's a Tuesday this year, but if you want to do your event earlier or later, we're we're open to that as well if if your schedule doesn't permit that. But, yeah, we will definitely – get you materials for, for a jury rights day celebration either anytime from the weekend before through the weekend after jury rights day. Um, just so long as we get, get everything filled out and all, all done and by remember, the deadline. Folks, so. If you're going to go to a courthouse, it's better to go during the week because that's when people are there. <laughs> right. And for once it's not on labor day or a weekend. So Exactly, exactly. All right, Kirsten. Well, this is always a pleasure to talk to you. You're always a wealth of information and articulate, and you know, and I, I agree with you. So it works out really well. Um, how does how does somebody get a hold of you? How does somebody tell us how to get their their package? All right. So to get your packet, if you go to juryrightsday.com, that will shoot you over to our website which will have a link to the form to fill out. Um, if you want to follow us on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash National, and you can find the Jury Rights Day event page from there. And if you need to send an email, it's AJI, which stands for American Jury Institute, AJI at FIJA for Fully Informed Jury Association dot O-R-G. Beautiful. All right. Well, Kirsten, I'm going to, Continue this. I've got, I guess, about a week to get everybody's um, uh, attention to you. I'm going to be making some personal uh, phone calls and trying to get clarification that we're going to have, I don't know, half a dozen of our chapters out there someplace or another. Um, that now, would be great. I just want to remind everyone. Another... <laughs> oh, I should well, just remind everyone quickly that with people have, getting more and more pushback from courts, if we don't assert our right to do this, we're not going to be able to sustain it. So we need everyone to have a big push this year and show the courts that we are not going to be chased off from this. I, I think that's just a huge point. And, and as people are talking about, well, we need to make a law banning this and banning that, um, as much as I deplore um, he 
hatred and hate speak and any actions that are, um, even though they may be protected by the First Amendment, um, I think that society should should be the consequence, um, not the law. If the law comes in and starts undermining our rights, um, they're never going to give them back. Historically, they don't do that. And so uh, it's important that we push back. It's important that we continue to assert ourselves. And, you know, frankly, this doesn't have a victim either. All it does is help. <laughs> so do it effectively, folks, and, uh, you know, get out there and do it. There's nothing funner than getting a, a, a bunch of people together, getting out there and, uh, you know, speaking. And, and as you talk about it, you'll understand it better. Uh, the best way to, te to learn something is to teach it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kirsten, and I will be uh, filling out uh, – the application there, and I'll, I will either film it or take some pictures so that I'll show everybody just how easy it is. And, uh, again, the headquarters chapter will be doing this in Riverside County. Um, give us a call. Let us know. All right. Well, thank you so much. Sounds uh, good. Any last parting shot? Uh, that'll do it. I just want to see a big turnout this year to make sure that we can keep doing this in the future. So. Everyone, it only takes one per courthouse, two, you know, one or two people can do it. Very easy, only an hour of your time. Come on out. Beautiful. Thank you so much once again, Kirsten Tynan, uh, Executive Director of FIJA, the Fully Informed Jury Association. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. All right, so we have about 35 minutes left and about two hours worth of stuff to get to. Um, so I'm going to blast through a couple of things really quickly. Remember, if you're listening right now and you decide you want to say something, I know that there's a button you can push. I think it's pound nine. I'm not sure. Somebody's going to clarify this. Um, but it'll bump you up to the top of the list. And if I see anybody bump to the top of the list, um, I will assume that you have something to say. The other way that you can jump in is just hang up, call back again, and our amazing screener, Noncompliant Mary, will let me know that there's somebody that has something to say. Um, if you don't, we'll get to every call. We always do. I may have to rush you through and push you, you know, a more involved interview into a following week. But as again, like I said, we're going to be doing a show every week now. So regardless, come hell or high water, we'll be doing a show every week. On that note, um, we're going to start having a weekly conference call, um, and I believe we're going to have it Thursday mornings uh, about 9 o'clock Pacific time. If you want to be part of the show, if you want to help out, if you have ideas, uh, guests, ideas, uh, anything, just listen in on a good conversation, uh, contact me, and um, I will give you the information. All right, coming up in September, uh, the last week of September, we have our annual board meeting. Um, this is a non-election year, so there will not be any elections. And all of our board members and secretary have agreed that they're fine with continuing on for the next year, so it doesn't look like we're going to have any resignations either. Um, we've got a great board. We're working together well. We're going to begin to work more closely together and, and, and set out some plans for more involvement with more people. Um, I have, We've agreed that we're going to open up this board meeting um, that if you want if you want to if you're a member in good standing if you um, have ever been part of our leadership uh, if you wish to become part of our leadership and you want to listen in on our board meeting and there will be a place for you to have a voice in the meeting 
um, contact me, and I will give you the contact information. It's a conference call as we're spread out across the nation, um, and it, you know, being an all-volunteer organization, we don't have a way to physically get us all in the same room. So let me know. We're going to open that up. All right, we have Dolores Halbin on the line, and um, we're going to talk to her about her moral turpitude case and letter writing. And before we do that, I just want to bring up a point. Um, we did a letter writing campaign in the last couple of weeks for uh, Michelle Button and Dolores Halbin. And uh, we got a number of letters written. And as I had promised, everybody who wrote a letter, um, regardless of your status uh, as a member of the Human Solution, you will receive a volunteer membership for the year. And we also are going to randomly select out of all the people that had written letters, um, one individual that's going to win a prize, and the prize is a gift basket from Willow Creek Springs and a bunch of Human Solutions swag, uh, including a T-shirt and a, a Solidarity ribbon magnet and a whole bunch of stuff. So um, there's going to be one one winner. We're going to film the selection of it. And uh, we'll send it out probably by the end of this week. So we're going to have, I don't know, I believe there's about 20 or 30 new members that are going to be um, inducted into our membership as full-fledged volunteer members with all rights and privileges attached. Everybody else has to pay your 15 bucks, or even better yet, your 420 a month. Um, so that's coming up. Let's see, we've got that, we got that, we got that. Okay, if we're going to get to guests to finish up the show. I want to, again, this is now two times I'm going to give the plug, I want to thank the Coffee Party Radio Network for giving us a place to air this show, and uh, we're going to take full advantage of it from here on out. And please, take some time and listen in. You can listen to the archived version of this show and all the other fine programming that are on. I was able to meet uh, one of the other um, hosts of the of, of the radio network uh, over at Atlanta, and I'm stammering and stuttering here. I'm not quite sure what's going on. But uh, we will be doing a lot more interaction with members of the Coffee Party Radio Network and the Coffee Party, that we're actually official uh, um, affiliates or uh, partners. Okay, so the lineup from this point forward. We've got 30 minutes, and we're going to have Dolores Halbin, and then we're going to have Tom Corby. And I think that's it, unless we have somebody else that has something they want to say, again, hang up or hit pound, and I think it's nine. It might be one, but uh, hit the buttons, and if it bumps you up to the front, I will bring you up. All right, Dolores. Dolores is an amazing person. She's a nurse. She is a um, member of the American Cannabis Nurses Association and um, got her license stripped away over a pot case. Uh, a pot case in which her husband um, lost his life as a result. And um, this is really a its a troubling case because in addition to stripping her license, they charged her with moral turpitude issues. And it's just the crappiest thing they could do. Um, talk about kicking somebody when they're down and doing the very wrongest thing they could do. And so we wrote letters on her behalf and Dolores is here to tell us about how the hearing went and the impact, if any, of those letters. 
Dolores, welcome to the Hi, show. Joe. It's always a treat to have you be part. I was worried that you weren't going to make it, so uh, I'm glad you did. It's all yours. Are you there? You were just there ahead to go. There you are. Um, there we are. Okay. All right. Um, I just got home. My dogs were mauling me. <laughs> oh, you know, so, uh, there's nothing like being mauled by your dog. Uh, they love me. They give me all the love I need. Now, I just thank you so much for everything you do and for everything you've done for me. I just I couldn't be more grateful. Um, I ended up with 20 letters, including <laughs> yours, made the cut there. Um, oh, good. It came Dan, in right at the end. Yeah, it, it came second. in right there. Um, and I don't want to start thanking people on the air because I'm afraid I'll leave somebody out, but Dan is sending me those letters, and when I get them, I will post them all on your on your Facebook of oh, everybody that wrote wonderful. in. So you'll Beautiful. have them to go in your drawing and to give your, you know, all the goodies yeah, yeah. to. And I hope that uh, Michelle got as many. I hope that worked out for she her She did. As I well. believe she got probably close to that as well. Good, good. Well, probably everybody that wrote for me wrote for her. But, um, yeah, well, I was She actually was really got cool. a letter written by a state senator or an elected official wow. on her behalf. That, that now, I'm I've had gonna people get her ask me, is it, is it too late to, to send in more letters for her? I believe not. I believe she hasn't oh, okay. finalized her case yet, even though um, okay. they, you know, we sort of had a, a, a deadline. I, I, I believe there's still some time. And frankly, okay, look, good. if you're thinking about writing a letter and you might do it, just write the letter. The worst thing that happens yeah. is it can't be used, but write the damn thing, please. <laughs> well, I want to get the American Cannabis the American Cannabis Nurses Association to write on her behalf as well, like they did for me. Yeah. So, I mean, hers was a medical case, and this is all, I mean, this is ridiculous, that people are having to choose between life, death, and jail. Yeah, it's just yeah, horrible. Yeah, just a um, that nobody should have to deal with. So tell us about what really happened shouldn't. at your hearing. Actually, you know, I, I had my, my wonderful attorney, Dan Veach, with me. I'm very grateful to have had him. I was the only one that uh, had an attorney, so we were offered first up. But we kind of wanted to see how things were going to go for someone else first. And, God, I felt so bad. The first nurse that came on there was an opioid addict, and it was just horribly brutal. Um, the questioning was brutal and just watching the pain, you know, and part of my defense was that Dan had brought was about the opioid crisis, but really, it really drove our point home because this poor woman right. couldn't finish a sentence. She was so strung out on oh, drugs, popping pills in the lobby, and it was just sad because um, that's such a problem. It's such a problem, and it's a huge problem in nursing. So um, when I got up there, I think it was a bit of a breath of fresh air for these 15 women and one male attorney um, Dan had 20 exhibits that he had brought in, including position statements from the American Nurses Association uh, supporting rescheduling and more more education, and from the American Cannabis Nurses Association. Um, Alice Randall O'Leary had written in uh, about her case and her husband, and um, it the prosecuting attorney objected to each and every one of Dan's exhibits and the nurses overruled him on every one of them and allowed everything in. He objected individually to each letter and they overruled him. There were 20 letters, 20 exhibits, so they overruled him 40 times. 
Which, at, the, at the end, he was just kind of, I object to this on a, you know, in the last uh, just three letters. Just objection. <laughs> and the last three letters that came in were yours, and and I forget who the other two were, uh, one from Jamie Katz at Normal in Kansas City, and he uh-huh. just said, I don't have any objections, because he knows he's going to be a So... And they had yeah, I got no a little play. personal in mind towards the end, but I just couldn't help it. <laughs> yeah, well, they took them all. They took them all. Yeah. They took everything Dan brought. Um, and he spoke so eloquently on how cannabis works so well against pain, and he really emphasized the opioid addiction and how states that had cannabis were seeing a sharp decline in opioid deaths and opioid problems and opioid arrests. And... Uh, having, you know, them just been spent 45 minutes with an opioid nurse, um, I think that it, it was such an educational opportunity. And, uh, well, tell me about the possible I, outcomes of this hearing. Well, we don't know. It's six to eight weeks. Dan asked that they do nothing. You know, I had to go through the whole story of losing my husband to this. And you know, the prosecuting attorney said, well, what guarantee do we have that you're not going to break the law again? I said, well, my husband's dead. You know, that was the only time I've ever right. broken the law yeah, is to try to save his life. It didn't work out very well for me. You know, lost my career, my house, my job, you know, um, my husband. So breaking the law wasn't wasn't very good for me. So I have no intentions of doing that again. And he grilled me on, you know, why I didn't move to a legal state. Like, oh, that pisses me off when people do that. Especially to I our know, parents here in Kansas and Missouri. Right. Well, you're just going to kill your child. I just, ooh, that irritates me. Like, it's easy just to go west, young man, you know. Right, but, right. just pick um, up your life and go move, sure. Yeah, just go move. Leave your family, leave your home, leave your friends. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But um, I don't. Dan did not think they were going to do anything. Um, he thinks they're going to just let me go. They had no questions for me at all. And you can look at people's faces and kind of read them a little bit. And I, uh, there were a couple of people that had tears in their eyes. It's a sad wow. story, you know. So It is. a horror story. Uh, and, you know, I told them, I got two years worth of clean drug screens. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a user. I, it's a medical issue for my husband. And, uh, right. Yeah, this um, is I, uh, Why are we having this conversation? That was yeah, kind of exactly. my thought. What, so, what are we doing um, here? What are we doing here? On the moral turpitude, um, nobody seemed to have any idea why I got charged with that. <laughs> it was just kind of a blanket thing. And I right. kind of got the feeling I may have been their only cannabis person there because if you're dealing narcotics, Scotland narcotics, that's considered moral turpitude. I don't even have issues with that. To put a drug right. user in the same category with a rapist and a murderer, I think, is pretty outrageous all the way around. Um, but it is used yeah, in the felony cases. Yeah, the rapist and the murderer has a victim. It's just a different yeah. thing. Yeah, and, you know, the only people that are victims to drug users are their immediate families. And um, you know, my son was a heroin addict, and, yeah, it hurt us bad. You know, but my son didn't become a heroin addict until he got busted for weeks. And... Uh, he was in a really bad car wreck in 2003 and was just using cannabis because he was so afraid he'd be an addict. I mean, we have, you know, a lot of addiction in our family, and they busted him with a quarter ounce sale, and he got two felonies in the state of Kansas for selling a quarter ounce of weed and uh, got put on drug screens. 
So he had real legitimate pain, went to a doctor, and the first time he took an Oxycontin, we lost him. I mean, he was gone. And we are one of the lucky families because he didn't die. He went to prison for four years. So he his his dad died while he was in prison because of heroin, you know. But he lived through it. He got out. He's doing great. I couldn't okay. be happier for him because he's clean and works his program and um, helps a lot of other addicts. But I mean, we've got to. This is such a, a a horrific problem in our country that's killing somebody now every five minutes. We just have to get this through and. I don't know how we're going to do it with the chaos in Washington, except I saw, is it Booker that introduced the bill, the legislation, Senator Booker? Yes. Um, And so I have a lot of hope for that because there's not much case for continuing this except with Big Pharma. And, you know, they don't have much credibility these days with the opioid epidemic. So I don't know. Well, you missed the first part of the show where we were talking about our coalition that's building and uh, the – getting our message to be clearer and louder and to get people to stand up with one voice. And I'm certainly going to encourage the American Cannabis Nurses Association to um, officially, you know, step into this coalition and, and, and be part of this voice. Um, and and Absolutely. we're solidifying our message and, 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 yeah. and getting it to be um, a little bit, a little bit clearer and a little bit, you know, more yeah. succinct, but I'm absolutely going to welcome you know, the organization to stand with this, with this goal. Yeah. So Dolores, um, we are running real tight on time. Yeah, and I, I know, and I, believe, I know, I heard. Um, I've got a bunch of guests still to come in. So, um, well, I'm I, I will listen you... to the show tonight yes. after it's over. I'll go back and listen to the rest of it. I'm excited. I was on the road traveling, but I just, I want to thank everybody. There are so many of you that wrote letters. I love you guys, and I will get your names posted so you can get your names in the hat for that wonderful drawing. And, exactly. Uh, God, we're gonna God we're gonna videotape you. it, and uh, it's gonna be uh, you know a little shindig. So, uh, and Dolores, awesome. just so you know, you you officially qualify for our Human Solution membership the hard way. Um, typically, we re- we reserve that for uh, people that are in custody. But with what you've gone through, I'm going to go ahead and make an executive decision here, and uh, I'm going to grant you a, a, a hardware membership. So um, consider yourself part of the family now, my friend. <laughs> oh, I already did, Joe. I already did. Uh, beautiful. I already beautiful. did. Beautiful. I already did. All right. I did. Well, I, I look forward so to much. just having you be a regular on the show. We're going to be doing a live show every week now, so – we just Good. have so much Good. to talk about, and I really yeah. want to get this coalition stronger and stronger and, and unified and really start getting this drum beat beaten. So um, I look forward hey, I'll to talking to you soon. Hey, I'll call tomorrow morning. You want, you want uh, to yes, in tomorrow morning. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, okay, I will forward you the, the contact. Great. I yeah, I'll it. do that. Thank I'll you absolutely so do that. Hey, thank All you. Right, I again. love you guys. I, I appreciate it so much. Oh, you betcha. Dolores Halbin, um, you know, cannabis uh, drug war victim and member of the Cannabis Nurses Association, American Cannabis Nurses Association, and just an amazing person. I, I you know, when I write a letter for somebody, I, I write because I, I, I feel strongly about it. It's not just, a, um, you know, you're somebody who is in a bad spot. I, you know, I, I'm not an empath. I'm a sympath, I guess. But at the end of the day, I've been where you are on a lot of levels, and this is just so wrong. 
And, you know, part of the reason I was a free man was because of all the letters that got written on my behalf. So it's really important. All right, folks, we've got now um, Aaron O'Neill, um, and he's got some good news, and Tom Corby, and um, you know what? We're going to bring up Noncompliant Mary first. And uh, Noncompliant Mary is our screener, and she's also um, an ex-defendant, um, and she's a Human Solution member, court supporter, and I just love her to death. She's also a board member of the Human Solution International. And she also just vanished. Holy cow. All right, well, if she comes back, I will be able to bring her up. <laughs> so um, I guess what I meant what to say was Aaron O'Neill is going to come up next, and then we'll bring Tom Corby to to close it down. So Aaron's got some good news for us. Aaron, welcome hey. to the show. Hey, thanks. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. I really appreciate it. You betcha. I understand you got some good news. Yeah, well, you know, I called in a couple of weeks ago, and I think I talked to you a little bit about uh, El Dorado County uh, offering to dismiss my case um, and uh, with the stipulation that I allowed them to destroy my patient's medicine, and I refused and said, no, let's do this and let's go to trial. And they subpoenaed my son and my ex-wife and did a few of pulled a few shenanigans and then day before trial readiness, they contacted my attorney and said, okay, we'll dismiss it. <laughs> and folks, this is such a lesson. I tell everybody this, I say it in person. I say it all the time. If you're going to take a plea deal, wait until the very, 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 very end. You can take a plea deal after you've already begun jury selection. The judge wants you to take that plea deal. Go all the way to the end. See what they offer. You know, stand your ground. It, it, you may decide that you feel strongly enough to stay with it, but even if you didn't, you'll always get your best deal at the very end. And Aaron got the best deal it is. They dismissed the case. And yep. you're getting your medicine back. So, you know, yep. it's just a, I, I a perfect demonstration of that. They don't want to go to trial. I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, I think that is a really big lesson about all this is, um, uh, you know, I, that's the one thing I told my attorney. It's like, look, this is the first offer. You know, he was most of my attorney's great, Joseph Tolley, but most defense attorneys will tell you, you know, don't walk away from a dismissal. You know, um, they're taught that. But when I got the phone call from him the first time when he said <laughs> they want to dismiss, they want to dismiss the case, but they want to let, they want to destroy your medicine. And Joseph Tolley told me that he told the district attorney that, I don't think Mr. O'Neill's going to do that. He's kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they so, felt about me when it was all going on. I seldom find anybody with the same uh, 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 spectrum of crazy as I as I exhibit. So I, I, I yeah. applaud and uh, share your sentiment deeply. No, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, it was 1,800. They charged me with 1,856 plants, 65 pounds of processed med- medication. Um so it was a pretty pretty big case. It was a win. You know, it was a win for everybody, a win for my collective, a win for cannabis patients everywhere. It's El Dorado County has been a pretty hard county to deal with. Um, and it's my second second case I've won in four years in El Dorado County. I've, I've fought him twice. I took one all the way to jury trial and won it. And they well, decided one more to try and you me got again. me tied. <laughs> hopefully you won't have to hopefully you won't have to go through that trifecta. I I I, I, Man, I had to go through three three felony cases, beat them all in the end though. Man, you're a beast, dude. I'm telling you, this well, is the roughest <laughs> thing I've ever had to do in my life. 
<laughs> I, you know what? It's just insanity, I think. But it doesn't matter. I, I, I wasn't gifted that give up gene. I think that a lot of people, uh, you know, get to go on about their way. Uh, I didn't get yeah. that part. <laughs> yeah, All right, Aaron. Well, thank you so much for sharing the good news. Kim Smith was talking about um, making sure that we that we acknowledge and honor these victories. And this is the victory that highlights what this is all about. This is a victory that every single one of you could have. Every single one of you that takes that first deal that comes along your way, imagine what it would feel like to have them dismiss the case because they didn't have a stomach for the trial. You could do it just by holding on, just by saying, no, I'm sorry, I want a jury trial. I want a trial by a jury of my peers. Please, thank you. Um, And this is what can happen. And thank you so much for the human solution and everything you guys do, the education. Um, you guys are making a difference out there. You know, I talk to people all the time and they, they hear of you and they know of you and, and, uh, you're just a great organization and I just can't say enough. Well, beautiful. I hope you decide to carry the torch and, uh, help others as you're moving forward. I have a funny feeling you will. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely beautiful. going back. All right. Aaron O'Neill folks, a complete Bye-bye. victory. The, the prosecutor dismissed the case and, Decided to give him back all his medicine just because they did not want to go through a trial. All right, here we go. We got non-compliant Mary up, and then Tom Corby to finish up the show. Non-compliant Mary, my friend, how are you doing? Awesome, just awesome. I love hearing all these success stories and people coming together. Um, what I wanted to share was the results of uh, Nicholas Marin's trial up in Oroville, and as a lot of people already know, he went through the whole thing. Um, I'm sure he was scared as can be, and he was. 12 of his peers found him not guilty, and what we saw there was the case against Nick was so incredibly flimsy, and Joseph Tully was the attorney, and he got to show everyone that the uh, investigator never investigated. He said that he charged Nick for everything. Um, it was a collective, he says, but as far as he could see, there was only one person, even though there was the collective papers, but he said without um, birth dates, how could he possibly speak with these people? So because Nick did not have their birth dates, he was charged and was going to go down for quite a bit. So Joseph Tully was able to show it, and right after that, as a result of that phenomenal win, the next case, same prosecutor, same uh, uh, investigator, was dismissed a young man who he and his girlfriend were having their first child, and it could not have come at a better time, Alex Lyons. So I'm just watching win after win after win and just so grateful for those that are willing to stand up. Aaron is a perfect example of that, and that's all that it takes, and everyone behind us is so much better. So I'm, I'm just really, I'm really feeling it out here now. That's fantastic. And, Mary, you know, you're one to talk. You you went toe-to-toe with them, and you didn't flinch either. And, you know, that's just a lesson, folks. They talk about 93 or 97% of all cases end up in a plea deal, um, and, and probably more than 50% of those are the first plea deal offered where the defendant doesn't even push it. And, you know, if you just were to push it and just say, even if you knew in your heart that at the very end you would take a deal, don't play that. Don't tell them. And... Nine out of ten times, yes, yeah, some of these cases do go to trial. And and if you do go to trial, you know, God help you. But I mean that in a good way. Hopefully you have a good attorney. Hopefully you have court support. Hopefully you have, uh, you're have you prepared and you're, and you're ready to fight and you're ready to 
um, you know, get into the trenches. It's a tough, bloody place. I've been there, you know, plenty of times, too many times. Hopefully I don't ever have to go back. But at the end of the day, I would do it again if I had to. If I ever got hit again, I would stand just like I did. Uh, I'm stronger because of it, not weaker, and that's the key to all of this. We are all stronger together. Every time one of us stands up and, and, and doesn't give in, doesn't cow, we're stronger as a whole and we're closer to our goals. So, folks, this is such a lesson. And, and Mary, you're such a delight, and I thank you so much for uh, everything you're doing. Um, you're, you're, you're just uh, such a part of the solution. I love all of us. We are the solution. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. All right, beautiful. i got just enough time for Tom Corby. Uh, to give us a NorCal report. Tom, I hope you got it everything nice and succinct today. we got about 7 minutes, 30 seconds. Welcome to the show, and go. Thank you, Joe, and all those on the front lines today, party radio show. Uh, in Northern California, uh, we keep on rocking. Uh, Aaron O'Neill's dismissal, Alex Lyons' dismissal. Nick Moran's acquittal. Uh, now that these cases are all misdemeanors, we don't go to jail for misdemeanors in our plant, and we're not felons and criminals. When we talk about misdemeanors, uh, I have with me here today at the round table, I have Dr. Allen, Sue Cologne, uh, Eric. Pierce, who's going, will say something today about his hearing, his pretrial conference today. Uh, also, Alex Lyons is here and a new case. We actually have a couple new cases just when I thought my calendar was empty. Huh. And these these folks that came today, uh, Jackie and, and Ray, uh, are part of our circle, and they actually came for court support for Eric Pierce today. We talk about jury nullification. Uh, I find most people have no clue on their rights. My first mindset is, is there's no victim, there's no crime. Let that sink in deep. That means a lot. When you're talking to jurors, like it was said before, you don't have to say it all. Wait till you get picked and then you can nullify the case. Uh, I'm going to bring Sue Cullum in now and let uh, and uh, Eric Pierce uh, and talk about, I was so glad her and Doc were there today and the court support we had and, and share uh, about Eric Pierce's case. By the way, he's charged with one count now, uh, misdemeanor uh, psilocybin mushrooms. And <clears throat> Joe, who will tell you, I have never seen such an incompetent PD as this PD Marshall. Uh, Eric Pierce has tried to recuse him. Judge Deems and that they, Judge Riley would not let him. So he's actually admitted that he can't defend the case. He's actually told Eric that he's stupid if he doesn't take this plea deal. Now you know our mindset in the Human Solution International to all defenses. We do not take any deals. Uh, I want to thank, I want to congratulate Aaron O'Neill and uh, ask off the Sue Cullum there, right here, for coming for Aaron O'Neill. Here's Sue Cullum. Hey, Joe. Hey, Sue. How's it going? Oh, doing really good. Hey, yeah, it's a super win because um, I'm uh, involved in the Aaron O'Neill case, and 
have been for a long time. And um, um, I actually was, um, after the first hearing, um, when the jury found Aaron not guilty for like 200 plus pounds, um, we had 21 patients and two of them had died and they actually read their testimony into court and it was quite powerful. And what I found was is that they actually tried to stage a mistrial. It seemed that there was an issue with um, the jury nullification paper and Dr. Allen being accused of planning it in the bathroom. And later the DA prosecuting the case said, oh, oh it's mine. And so I find this whole thing to be interesting how um, this staged situation caused a lot of trouble for Aaron. And and um, when they uh, the jury finally ruled um, – in the first hearing that um, he was not guilty. And it was super great. But prior to um, the jury finding Aaron O'Neill not guilty, the uh, district attorney had him criminally indicted, you know, in, with two more counts um, in the grand jury, and we were automatically going to trial. Well, um, after the, the jury found him not guilty, I filed a uh, $2.8 million tort against the Eldorado County um, for um, – taking the cannabis, um, 33 pounds of its mine, and then Aaron and individually and together as collective members. And Matt, uh, we have an attorney that took the case over and we are set for trial. Um, they, they have a, we have a $4 million tort. The, the issue is, is that they have to stop doing this type of prosecution because the voters of California and um, we, we've said it, um, it's gone recreational and they are not subject to arrest only cannabis patients are the the issue that i found today with these new cases joe is it's more of a property crime so there's no more criminal hearings it's a property crime and there's big severe fines for outside of the box but the administrative hearings are are being held in private hearings by lawyers and not judges and so we have a new kind of dilemma on our situation that i find to be a violation of a federal uh, constitutional law um, and to be right secure on our property. And this marijuana new regulation is the Marijuana Stamp Act all over again, um, just in a different form. And ultimately, they're trying to take property. So um, I, I find that um, we as um, um, activists, we have to still, um, still struggle to um, assist those who are fighting this drug uh, drug war and um, kudos to you, Joe. Um, you know, um, we'll 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 uh, we'll come down and um and celebrate with you after um, the hearing and stuff. It's going to be a wonderful day. That sounds fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sue. Um, Tom, you got about one minute left to wrap this thing up. I I'm just tickled. We've had a an amazing show. I'm actually kind of tired from it. Um, this is. This has been kind of a whirl a whirlwind, but so much good news and and you know so much unity. Um, it's just uh, kind of unprecedented. So, uh, what's your what's your last uh, wrap up there, Tom? All right. So here's Eric Pierce, and uh, what I would like to say when we talk about misdemeanor mushroom charge, if you remember back in my case when I worked my own police report, pretty much had my own case. Blessing me for what she did. They're paying for that. Anyway, so uh, because because of mushrooms, and in my brief, I pointed out that there are actually four strands of psilocybin mushrooms. 
And one of the strands, Joe, you probably remember my brief grows in my my uh, neighbor's cow patties over here. So in my brief, I pointed out, so is my neighbor uh, Fallon going to go to jail like Eric Pierce because there's little side mushrooms over there and they're the bell shape? No, only if they pick it. Well, how? What if he picks it and doesn't know? So Eric Pierce is is another uh, kind of uh, like Nick Moran and a new case we have today uh, that I'll, uh, that I'm still working on. I have all my notes. Uh, kind of uh, a victim of circumstance, just a worker there uh, working in the garden. And sometimes uh, we find that instead of the landlord and the collective owner taking the responsibility, uh, they kind of drop it on the lesser. Uh, the workers when they're doing that to uh, Eric Pierce and others. So Eric's coming because mushrooms are not covered under Prop 215-420. Eric's coming with the sacrament and has uh, a very nice brief written out. Uh, this P.D. This Marshall, uh, you cannot believe Joe actually uh, almost threw Stu and them out, and, and I, when I was coming down the hall, there he, he was. Is that these people shouldn't be there, and you can't be in here? Oh, bull! We can be in here, and we backed him down. And I just can't believe this. This uh, oh, P.O.S. If you will, I mean, I cannot believe he's representing these kids. And when they do that, they send these kids to jail. And they make them a felon. Well, now, even with a misdemeanor, now they go out to get a job. In the first place, they almost make them fail under probation. We know that. And they're all making money on us. So uh, I want to thank everybody again today. Uh, we got the Bennells coming up uh, up in Shasta County here. Uh, last time I talked, I said that James kind of is kind of in them both, too. Uh, so... Uh, I'll go on vision to stand prohibition and free all our POWs. Most folks don't know that there's 50 in uh, for life without parole for our plant, like Craig Cecil. So come join us, help be the solution. Stand prohibition, join, join us. And as my wife Donna would say, don't forget to breathe. Thank you all today. Here's Eric Cruz. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Tom Corby. And uh, I welcome you all to join us next week as we continue this show. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done, you were always on my mind.